Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. We're very glad you've joined us for the final second captains at the Irish Times of the week and a trying week it has been for the international rugby players of Ireland and England at least for the ones who were put forward for media duties during the course of which they felt obliged to say really lovely things about their opponents even more so than usual in the build-up to a big game Luther Burrell for example Ken the uh, centre for England is so honoured to be playing against Brian O'Driscoll frankly I don't think he's going to be able to bring himself to make a tackle mm. but Driscoll the first ploy I would use of it was Joe Schmidt was just throw Brian O'Driscoll through the midfield channel there. Burl, he's so honoured by him. He wants to learn so much from Brian O'Driscoll. He's not going to lay a hand on him. Mm. They say attack the weak shoulder. Brian O'Driscoll will actually just attack the autograph book that <laughs> Luther Burl will apparently be branching in his face uh, for the entirety of the game. What did Luther Burl actually say? I'm just really honoured to be playing alongside Brian O'Driscoll. I'll pick his brains after the game. Not during. Okay. Not during the game. Because he's no. got too much respect for Brian O'Driscoll to yeah. do that. And he was also aghast that O'Driscoll was dropped from the Lions door. Yeah, he was I heard he was it. numbed. Still is. <laughs> Conor Murray on his opposite number, Danny Kerr. He's as dangerous as any in the world with ball in hand. Mm. Conor Murray again on Owen Farrell. His passing game, people might not know too much about it, but on the Lions, we got to see it up close and personal. He's a really wide range of passes, and his length of pass, it's just huge. <laughs> well, I hope he Width, said it. length, in. girth, everything. Yeah. Everything hope- that the good rugby pass needs. Mm. I hope that he said it with at least as much uh, of a patronising tone as he did there. <laughs> yeah. It was left of the English captain. Really, it's tremendous. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I've actually got uh, some clips of it here. It's just I want to show you this, this, this passing. It was left to the English captain, Chris Robshaw, today to restore a little bit of respectability by saying that England are confident in themselves and not afraid of the reputations of O'Driscoll. How dare he? I know. He just slammed. Bastard. He essentially said, O'Driscoll, what, world record of caps? Yeah. What have you won for me lately? Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah. Trevor Hogan's going to be in studio with Grenoble coach Bernard Jackman shortly to talk about all of that and look ahead to Saturday. This show was out a little later than usual to allow for the team announcement, which was worthwhile and that Jordy Murphy, uncapped, making his first cap at Twickenham, although he will have to come off the bench. I don't know if you've ever been a substitute, lads. I've been substitute uh, yeah, we'll more often than I would have liked. It's a miserable experience. No. Depending on the weather and depending on how you really feel and depending on the team you play for and against, a lot of the time you don't want to go out there. 
I don't know if this extends to international sport, but when it's cold, when you're told to warm up, you're kicking a ball, and the ball is actually sore to kick because mm. your feet are that cold and the ball is that hard, and you're thinking, I'm thinking soccer here, you think I'm going to have to head this thing probably once, once or twice. Mm. I, I'll try and avoid it, but I might have to head it once or twice, thinking, no. So Jordy Murphy may just be thinking, I'd like to go out for the trip, yeah. but don't bring me out. You know, Joe, if, I haven't actually seen the weather forecast, but I mean, if it's raining, you know, there's no point bringing me. You know, I'm sure you've got enough there. 22 lads. That's Tommy O'Donnell. Have you seen Tommy O'Donnell? He's been He's here unbelievable. Camp. Yeah. I mean, now, summer tour to Argentina, you know, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> sign me up. I'll be there. Don't worry I'd about I'd imagine that. rugby looks like quite a violent game when you're on a bench watching it, about to go into the fray. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah, at the same time, though, really what you're saying there is, you know, if you're a substitute, you're watching it. If you're a player, you're actually playing in it. So, you know, that, that's no real reason to get, you know, to get annoyed, to get you know, frustrated and say, right, okay, I'm not playing. You know, you'd, do, you'd say that at the start of the game because you know what's coming, surely. Just don't play rugby at all. Yeah, exactly. Take up, take up tennis. Rob Penny's appointment as Munster coach says something, I believe, about the future direction Anthony of the Foley's, team. Anthony Foley's appointment. Anthony Foley's, uh, Anthony Foley's appointment. Well, myself and Rob got off on the wrong foot in a telephone interview about three years ago, so I'm trying to be as nice as pie to him ever yeah. since. Yeah, he did. He, so he, he's now been reappointed by me as Munster coach for another three-year deal with mm. an extension offer of possibly two more years. Mm. He took down your trousers and gave <laughs> you a damn good thrashing, Second as I recall. Second captain's on. football is... Oh, sorry, we'll be talking about that with the two boys as well, about uh, the appointment of Anthony Foley, or Axel Foley, Murphy's is known in that part of the world. Tremendous movie. Second captain's movies. football already out. Martin O'Neill's first squad announcement was taking place as we recorded that earlier on today. So we'll follow up on that with Irish Times football correspondent Emmett Malone who was in Limerick for the underwhelming announcement. Ken, I think the fact that Daryl Murphy's presence and Stephen Ireland's absence constituted the two main talking points. Well, Shea Given's absence was probably more of a talking point. But one way or the other, that these aren't massive, massive Irish sporting stories. No, um, it... it no, when absences, a couple of absences are the main headlines, that's not really... Oh, well, I always expected that to be the case, If you know, because it's a big enough squad. I always thought, well, there'll be one or two interesting omissions from this squad. We'll know straight away he actually doesn't have any time for Glenn Whelan. Sorry to pick Glenn Whelan out of this, but that, that that's usually what you look for in these extended squads, but um, unless I'm forgetting anybody, I don't know if there's a, a shocking... Well, there's, there's, there's no Robbie Keane, but only because he's, yeah. he's um, got some club commitments, which in this case he can't sidle away from. <laughs> Turns out we have about 30 good players, you know, and he's named pretty much all of them. Yeah. So. so he's done his job adequately so far, has Martin O'Neill. It's more of a secretarial. <laughs> you know, we've got all these good players. Let's make sure that they all know the game is on, what time to show up at the ground, that sort of thing. We'll get a little bit of P. Bezo to you. At some stage today as well. Bernard Jackman and Trevor Hogan are in studio, though. Thanks for calling in, lads. No problem at all. No problem. At the, well, near the end of... A, a, it seems to have been a long build-up, certainly the most polite build-up we've had for an Ireland-England game for a while. And maybe I've just been waiting too long for something to get riled about, so I might be clutching at straws a little bit here. But this is from Mick Cleary in the Daily Telegraph today. England will look to enhance the uplift they receive from home support by stopping their bus on the way into the stadium and getting the players to walk through the massed ranks of fans in the West Car Park on their way into the changing rooms. What was a 20-metre walk will become an orchestrated 100-metre march towards battle, gladiators approaching the Coliseum. Is that closer? Am I, am I clutching at straws? Is that closer to the bit of hubris, maybe? It seems a little bit pompous, no? Um, yeah, is, is that definitely what's going to happen? Seems now? to be, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a lot of games, any any games, especially international level, there's always big crowds whenever a team leaves a hotel or is just coming into that that uh, changing ground, changing room area, and it's always a great way to to build up a buzz. Um, they seem to have extended that out a l- another little bit now. Um, An extra eighty yards, by the sounds <laughs> of things. Yeah, 
Listen, any any little thing that can, it doesn't matter about getting us riled up, any little thing that could work in, in the Irish lads' advantage, um, maybe that, that would be something that would annoy them, but I doubt it. I think at that stage of the game, it's going to be, you're going to be fairly focused with Joe, yeah. especially on the processes and stuff. But it, it, I know what you mean. It's getting harder and harder <laughs> to hate this England side for I, some reason. I don't, Yeah, I'm sure this wouldn't ride up the Irish players. Maybe it would, Bernard. But it strikes me that it could backfire somewhat. For a start, you're going to... They've now posted this publicly. Uh, this information's out there. If I'm an Irish fan in London, I'm going straight to that car park and getting and just waiting there for that English team. Yeah, but will that affect the, those players? I don't think so. I think the more people there, the more it's going to just heighten their their sense of uh, anticipation, regardless of whether they're being cheered or yeah, maybe being for sure. by a few. No. It's just a matter of getting the blood boiling. Is, yeah. is that good psychology though? Normally, do the players not like to go in under the radar? Yeah, they do. But I I think you can't help it when that bus drives into into any stadium. You know, you're you're. Your uh, your butterflies and your stomach start to start to go 100 miles an hour, and I think the thing about Lancaster, this isn't something unusual for him. He's mm. been unbelievably focused on making his English squad aware of the responsibility they have to the, to that jersey and the heritage and, and the culture. And you know, he's been very open about bringing in guest speakers. You know, Olympians, uh, Redgrave, Pinsett, uh, guys from British Cycling, um, and looking to always uh, admire and, and uh, recognise super uh, feats of achievement by, by English people um, and this, all he's saying to his English players is listen this is the responsibility you have today Twickenham and part of the, the lore of Twickenham is the the amount of people who get there four hours beforehand and have their picnic or whatever and he's saying instead of just driving right up to the up to the door uh, let's pull back 400 metres and let's walk through our people and mm-hmm. whether Irish people come and, and, and hackle them or not heckle them or not you know it's, maybe that's going to it's not going to affect them or whatever and maybe he's it depends on if, if they're used to I suppose getting that revving that up two hours before the game it's probably not going to be a problem if they were a team who were unbelievably relaxed till 10 minutes before kickoff, then it's a change but from what you can gather about Lancaster he doesn't really step too far either side of his norms mm. and you'd have to believe that he's he's calculated the risk for this and uh, he believes that you know for the game that's in it it's a, it's a gamble worth taking what do you think would you like to get get the blood boiling an hour or so before kickoff yeah well an, an hour is probably too long but i'm just thinking back of of the the reaction when paul o'connell was in claremont to the crowd um you know nearly booing him and stuff and you I assume it'll be mostly it'll be mostly English there, and, and the Irish players, Irish bus will probably go up a little bit closer, so it might not affect affect our our preparation. But definitely, uh, from an England player's point of view, it could be, it could be a, a smart move in terms of just as Bernard's saying, they're recognising who you're representing and, and reminding you of. Yeah, what it's all this about. whole idea of reconnecting with the English rugby traditions, which is what Lancaster is all about. Really, Chris Robshaw was talking today about making Twickenham a fortress, and this is part of that also. It hasn't been that way, and certainly from an Irish viewpoint, I guess, Trevor, it's not a place that is, in, in recent years, maybe as intimidated as, you know, there have been a couple of bad defeats, but in the last 10, 15 years, do you think that Twickenham will intimidate or will inspire this Irish team or will be literally not not a factor at all? It's just another rugby ground you go to to win a game. Oh, it's definitely a factor. I think probably foremost in the Irish t- lads' minds will be Twickenham two years ago rather than maybe going back to some of the, the successes of, of previous years. That, that kind of, the hurt from that and the pain of that day will definitely probably be driving lads on more so than the fact that they've had some 
really good wins in recent years. Um, but there is something you know unique about the, the Twickenham atmosphere, and it's it's uh, it's going to be something the lads will have to you know use to their advantage. That the fact that they're going what's known as the the home of rugby and the, the, the HQ and all that, and you know you're in the heart of in, the empire as such. So whatever lads will use for their own psychological uh, advantage. They can they can dig on it because I think cer- certain things that Lancaster has done has has lessened that 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 factor because he's taken down you know those the plaques they had to England's greatest victories um, stuff like that has been toned down a lot and they are they are certainly um, aware of of coming across a little bit o- over confident and arrogant at times so you know there is going to be elements of that that players will have to dig deep to, to, to generate their own um, you know aggression and, and intensity Brennan we're told these are northern English values Stuart Lancaster comes from that part of the world or that part of the country you've played up in sale is it a totally different mindset? Yeah massively and it's a it's well, I suppose Sale Manchester would be a hybrid of League Union and uh, the Northern England, the Yorkshire, the Lancashire, they do pride themselves on being the, the working class, to bring in that core values of of honesty and uh, and work rate to, to, to the party, you know, consistently. And Lancaster's been very open that he, he sees himself as being a self-made coach. He's gone through all the... He's not he's not a guy who's anointed from an early age. He's he's worked, he's gone through the whole English uh, coaching development system and he's, he feels he's proven himself at every level. Still coaches under underage, you know, on a weekend uh, in his local club he's he really and I, th- I don't think it's put on to be honest I think it's just part of what he is and what he believes in in terms of being being down to earth and I, I think Twickenham post 2003 um, they lost that connection between the players and the fans because of the money that was floating around I mean you know there's plenty of anecdotal uh, stories of of being more advantageous financially to be dropped by England, you know, for for a game because of the amount of corporate uh, work there was around the stadium. Really? Yeah, talk that yeah, if a player sh- doesn't get picked in, and maybe the the twenty two that he might be better off for times. You know, um, right. there was a lot of money to be made, and even for current guys in the twenty three, obviously, you know, there's a two hour gap after games where the more places, the more boxes you can hit, or the more tents you can you can be be uh, spotted in, the more valuable it is. And I think that. They lost the connection between what they were there to do, and uh, I think Lancaster. You know, again, this is he's, he's identified that, but even this whole change of where they get off the bus is just to try and build that connection. And it's massive in French rugby as well. The connection between the home team and the fans. You know, it's they're not seen as uh, it's seen like a family. You know, and for example, it's in Grenoble um, and in most other other top fourteen teams. It's very hard to get the home team into the dressing rooms after the game because they're straight into the into the terraces or up in the stand and it can take an hour but that's a very positive thing for you as well because they don't like to go up there having lost and it, and it drives them and that's not going to happen in Twickenham but it's just trying to build that relationship and that trust between your national side and the home fans and mm. England it's not a crisis point but they did lose it for a little while and I think as part of Lancaster obviously he wants he wants to be technically and tactically good but he also wants to get that culture and that that uh, investment right that self-made aspect to his character that you talk about you say he would pride himself on that What? how, how is he more self-made than most of the men who've coached England well most well I suppose if you look at Martin Johnson he got a job because he was captain of England and successful um, his, historically and not just in England but most a lot of Former players get jobs um, based on their playing pedigree uh, rather than their actual coaching uh, pedigree. And mm. Lancaster wasn't a marquee player, um, and it's always harder if you're not, you know. And uh, he appreciates that. And as I said, he you know he's worked with the English Saxons. He worked as a development officer for the English Rugby Union. Um, he upskilled himself. He hoovered up 
knowledge from any source he could. Uh, he devours NFL coaching manuals. Um, and as I said, he's he's gone around the hard way. You know, it's probably taken him ten or twelve years to guess where um, some guys get you know a drop of ass. You know, has the niceness been a little bit over the top, Trevor? Maybe it's only because it seems to be a long lead in. You've got the two weeks, but I saw Burl earlier in the week talking about O'Driscoll how much of an honour it is to be playing against him and how he'll pick his brains after the match. I kind of, oh, come on. And it's not just England, Ireland are doing it as well. Conor Murray talking about Danny Kerr as though he's the greatest scrum half that's ever lived. Yeah, I suppose it does seem a little bit manufactured, but I think in fairness, you have to, you have to take it at face value. You know, I mean, you can't be second guessing lads that they don't necessarily mean that. I mean, what what's the alternative for for Luther Burrell to say? You know, is he going to say, yeah, he thinks O'Driscoll is is on the way out, deservedly dropped from the Lions, you know, third it's just, or something like that? <laughs> exactly, the alternative isn't really an option. But uh, you know, it, it does tie in with what uh, Birch is saying about what what um, what Lancaster is trying to achieve. Whether he's actually instructed guys to to be like that in their interviews. You know it's hard. It's it's doubtful, but you know you just see what happened to the likes of Nick Easter and other other lads that didn't buy into that attitude. Yeah, um, they're not really around anymore. So it's, it, this is kind of part of what he's he's doing. Ireland seemed to be returning, seemed to be reciprocating this, Bernard. There are no comments similar to Brian O'Driscoll in 2004 when he said that they were going to make the Twickenham crowd choke on their prawn sandwiches, which was pretty funny. But I was looking back on that game this week and Eddie Butler actually made reference to it at the very start of the BBC commentary. It was a thing at the time, even though it sounded like O'Driscoll was just having a bit of a joke. But Ireland seemed to carry themselves in a different way also. Yeah, I think there is there's admiration for them, there's respect. And I think, you know, I think Joe micromanages that too, to be honest. You know, there's no way... Media. Media, yeah, for sure. I think there would be an element of... Not exactly telling people what to say, but just saying, listen, let's make sure we give them, we don't give them anything, you know, that they can make a headline out of. And um, I think this Irish team is, is pretty humble. It's a big thing of Joe's uh, to never come across as being overconfident, uh, to always portray the squad in, in a positive light. Uh, and that's part of the culture he tries to portray, this humbleness. So if you if you know that your boss wants you to be humble, um, you have to be very careful in what you say in the media, not to come across as not being humble, because I'm sure he'd pick you up on it. And Trevor, Trevor probably is, yeah. you know, has been has been uh, aware of, of situations like that where he, he will come down on guys who let the, let the, let the group down. Yeah, yeah, or even a kind of an excessive celebration in training is all you know. He pulls you up on that kind of thing because, as he as he say, your your job is really is to score tries, and as such, you know, you, you don't need to be you know jumping around um, excessively. Afterwards, maybe in the matches, I think in training though he really hammers lads for for doing that, and that breeds the the work rate and the, and the relentless attitude to keep going and not just to to take the, the foot off the pedal if you if you do score. Yeah, it's like when uh, Ryanair fin- get their flight there on time and then have the big trumpet at the end congratulating themselves for yeah. getting you there on time. Yeah, by all accounts, he didn't mind my cross celebrating though because he he hardly ever yeah. he hardly ever <laughs> scored. But maybe that's something Simon Zebo needs to to curb a little bit, you know. And listen, if as a player you've got to. I suppose conform into what your coach wants and every coach wants different things and that's just the reality of it Um, so and if he sets that as being what he a basic requirement for him you'd be surprised how quickly fellas fall into line you know the team is named today uh, no surprise in the starting 15 Jordy Murphy in for Tommy Donnell on the bench though an uncapped player possibly coming off the bench as as a a back rower is likely to do against England at Twickenham big call 
Yeah, big call. And I was wondering how Joe was going to try and, you know, create, like, because it wasn't going to be too many obvious changes, but I was wondering how he was going to try and, and create that freshness and that, you know, uh, element of keeping players on his toes, which he was renowned for in Leinster. Um, so he's gone for for uh, for one of the guys on the bench, um, Tommy, and he, it, it's a tough call on Tommy O'Donnell because he, he's hardly, he hasn't done anything wrong. And that's that would have been an interesting conversation you had with him. Um, it really seems to me just about providing that that uh, attitude that you can get in there and if you're training well you're training hard maybe Jordy was doing that uh, I'm sure he was that you get you get your opportunity So you feel it's less about exactly what Jordy Murphy can bring to it and more about having to make some sort of a even a small statement that this squad isn't completely set in stone Oh well I'm sure there is that that factor but yeah I think Joe was big on that idea that lads aren't secure in their places the problem was there was nobody in the starting 15 you could really you know change um, so maybe a way to do that is to look at the bench and look at the impact off the bench Um uh, you know, I'm sure Munster fans will probably be upset over it, and you know, you could see you can see their point of view. But by all accounts, Jordy, like you see Jordy and what he brings off the bench, it's very similar, very similar to Tommy. He's probably more direct and straight, and he carries. Um, whereas Tommy was probably he's got more of a step, and he likes likes to get out in the wider channels. Uh, maybe that's an, an insight into the type of game that that Joe's going to look to to bring this weekend, and that direct nature of of nine and probably ten. Seems tough on Tommy O'Donnell, Bernard. Yeah, I think it's it's very harsh. I, if I was Tommy O'Donnell, I would have been expecting my next step to get a start. You know, in, in any kind of squad rotation um, that was being made, I think. I think he's very unlucky. The only, obviously, I think there definitely would be an element of trying to blood guys through the Six Nations in, in the appropriate situations. Uh, the only other possible scenario is that he's not confident that one of his lo- or the both of his locks are going to play eighty. We don't know if there's a knock there, and that Henderson might have to go into the row, and then Jordy probably gives you better cover at six, seven, and eight. I think if you're making the, if you're confident with with your with your locks are going to play the full the full eighty. Um, I think Tommy gives you more impact to be honest I'd be much happier if we needed a, a guy with X Factor to come on that Tommy is probably a little bit further ahead down the track than, than uh, Jordy at the moment but if you have a worry about about one of those other uh, back five players um, and you think that Henderson might have to go in early then Jordy does give you a little bit more proper balance at eight particularly mm. um, and he has played he can play six, seven I, I know Tommy has, has played all positions but I just think Jordy is more of a, a utility back row that's the only. That's the only thing. I is can it a big ask for him though? A, a player who has yet to be capped going. And I don't, is the psychology slightly different in that he's coming off the bench? Could he be any less nervous? Yeah, I think Jordy's the type of fella though. He doesn't seem to be phased. He's a fairly, you know, he's a fairly laid back kind of character, and uh, I don't think that will play into his mindset. Although you never know. You go Twickenham, you know, is kind of a strange place. It's not necessarily intimidating. It's just got that upper class kind of vibe about it. I don't think it's going to be uh, particularly daunting for for Jordy making his first cap there. But maybe in terms of, I think uh, Birch is right in terms of the balance in the bench. If you had someone like because Ian Henderson is there. I think he's, he offers a little bit different, uh, something different to, to the bench than maybe when Dan Tui was there. I personally would have probably liked to see Dunnick and Ryan getting in there, especially going into the, the physical battle that we have uh, at the weekend. But because he's gone with Ian Henderson, who's a little bit more mobile, probably offers what the likes of Tommy O'Donnell does anyway. I don't think Ian Henderson and Tommy O'Donnell, the two of them together, uh, kind of cancel each other out on the bench. And maybe that's why he's gone with with Jordy. Would you write off nerves as an issue? Because I, I, I only ask, I take the point that it's not as though he'll be held at by the, the Twickenham faithful or anything like that. But 
he's out of his comfort zone. He's not at his club. He's in a new kind of environment and I'm sure he's trained with the team. But this, this will be the first time he's ever done this if he comes off the bench, which he probably will. And he's doing it in a huge game at a rena- world-renowned venue. Yeah, I think I think nerves are definitely going to be an issue. But I think... Uh, Paul O'Connell will have nerves this weekend. Do you know what I mean? It's just and Jordy has, has a huge amount of experience, but he's he's had enough uh, actions in terms of big games to be able to, to be able to handle that. I think what's a massive help if you're an inexperienced guy making your first cap away to Twickenham is the mindset of everybody else. You know, if you're going there with a team low in confidence, uh, without a good game plan. You know that's 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 going to actually magnify, uh, yeah. multiply how how, um, how how badly you feel about yourself. Very or, or experienced squad as well, so it's not as though he he doesn't have to take any any sort of leadership responsibilities or anything like that. And he will know exactly what's expected of him if he goes on at six, seven, or eight. And yeah. look, went down two. He had to come in last minute for Paul O'Connell. He said he actually knew the plan. You know, what I mean, he was prepared as if he was going to start. And that he woke up the morning of the match, heard he was playing, and he said, "Well, I know what I have to do." And it's that it's that understanding of the game plan. You heard I, I read Chris Henry being quoted this week as saying that the great thing about Joe is he gives us a plan on a Monday. He explains why we're going to do it, and we know that if we do what he says, we're going to be in the mix to win. Mm. And that sounds very basic, and mm. it sounds obvious that every coaching environment should have that. But I've been in dressing rooms, and uh, I'm sure there's times in Grenoble where. I say something will work, and the lads are saying, "Well, I don't think it will." You know what I mean? It's not. It's not. Don't take it for granted that every week the players believe one hundred percent in what the coach says is going to work. And fortunately for us, with Joe, the players have bought into that, and they actually believe. Well, all we have to do is implement exactly what he told us to do. There's no uh, confusion. They know exactly where they have to be at every every moment of the game. They know what's expected of them at the rook, the tackle, uh, defensive lineouts, kick re- kick chase. You do that. You're going to be in the mix, and that's a that's a, that's a really good way of solving um, uh, nerves. I, I mentioned the experience factor there, and this seems to be one of the the aspects of the build-up that we're clinging to. That take the back line for example, that we've got more proven performers there. They've got some dangerous runners and all that kind of thing, but we might have a little bit more for them. Um, it, yeah, yeah, certainly, and I, I, hopefully, we might see that that that. Uh, Threat that threat we have out wide uh, more than we did probably against Wales, but it's it's, it's exactly what Birch is saying. It'll depend on what the that game plan he has decided to use. I would I would say that we probably won't kick as much as we did against Wales, and we will get to see maybe um, Car- Dave Carney and uh, Trimble coming in off the wing a lot more. Um, maybe we're going to use a little like because England have got such a strong, a really hard line speed. They come up really hard with with Burrell, Burrell and in in the in the midfield on Farrell so we're going to have to probably use a little plays behind behind guys passes screen passes or else looking at that one back inside off off 9 off 10 probably coming back down the short side I'd say we will we will look to play with that with that kind of shape that we're we, we're used to from Joe in, in his Leinster days I know some people are saying that he doesn't have necessarily a, a, a specific plan or type of rugby but I, I do think that you could nail it down to the fact that he does like very simply going hard the same way with with with, with quite often little changes the direction back down the short side, especially off line out, um, maybe off scrum as well. Little decoy plays to come back down the short side. We might see a few more of those, um, and, and we will see maybe that 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 threat we have, especially from the Carneys and Tremble a little bit more this weekend. Well, we did think that his style of rugby, I guess, was a very attractive passing style, but maybe he's already shown with Ireland that. 
it's more of a pragmatic approach and it depends on the players, it depends on the opponents. Bernard, are you expecting similar to Trevor this weekend? Yeah, I, I like that versatility, to be honest. I like the fact that he was unbelievably pragmatic against Wales. And Gatland said afterwards, you know, he didn't really know what to expect from Joe Schmidt and whatever they prepared for wasn't what they got. You know, if you had watched, if you had basically based a, a defensive game plan around what you'd seen with Joe against Scotland, okay, we didn't... Um, set the house house on fire but we did try and play a lot more than we did against Wales and, and New Zealand Australia Samoa and everything he's done in Leinster and Claremont you couldn't have imagined that he would have kicked as much uh, as we did mm. but I, I love that I love that first I love how pragmatic he was and I think what he looked at his team and where they are at the moment and he looked at a Welsh team and where they are under Gatland and and obviously the physical nature of the of the Welsh backs and he, and he said it would be foolhardy to try and you know play too much against these guys you know uh, Cupboard and North aren't comfortable under the high ball um, both in terms of the catch and also the positioning let's put them under pressure instead of let them come at us um, and I thought uh, that was brilliant and I think he will change it up again I think eventually with this Irish team his, his goal would be to to play a, a very ball in hand attacking a high tempo game um, but there is going to be times when you come up against teams who are really well suited to defend against that and you got to find other options, and and that's and that's great. You know? Do you not need to you, to actually play that way every game, though? Every training session, every game, play that sort of ball in hand style in order uh, not to win this year's Six Nations. But if you're looking at implementing that game plan, is it not something that you really need? To, you've so little time with these players, so few games, you have to do it every time. No, I think players prefer to win, to be honest, than <laughs> actually uh, go through the process of of playing there. They, they'll get enough games to before the World Cup to have that locked and loaded but um, I think the fact that we can we have shown that we're versatile um, will always keep the opposition guessing you know and uh, Trevor Trevor made a point about those little power plays and, and with Leinster his success rate and with Claremont's success rate of finding a power play that would score that you could score a try off was phenomenal mm-hmm. I would have said maybe one in two games uh, he could score a try off. He scored one. We scored one against New Zealand. Uh, the Rory Best try started with a five man lineup with a little, a little decoy uh, back down the blind side. We ran one against uh, against Wales in twenty six minutes, and it's the closest thing to perfection I've seen in a set piece play. Uh, I analysed it last night. Whatever the delivery from the liner to Toner to Murray, the decoy runners in midfield, or just got over the gain line. Just two guys to the rook. Chris Henry got there and won the space and Dave Carney came as insurance but he wasn't needed which is important off midfield rooks because Wales don't defend it so you've got to make sure you have the right numbers and then Healy and Darcy ran brilliant decoy lines they were never going to get the ball but the Welsh defenders believed because of their body language that they would the ball went out the back to Sexton he passed and then he ran upfield which is completely legal whatever but he made an unbelievable block and created a little space that Trimble eventually came back on the, on the cut and that just doesn't happen when you watch it live you think oh wow that's brilliant off the cuff rugby but everybody knew to within an inch of, of their uh, of their lives the running line they had to run to make it happen and Trimble was unlucky we, uh, that we didn't score and I, you know I think that maybe Joe will have something in his pocket and one try here could be the difference you know what I mean because it's not going to be a high scoring game I, I remember that that play that was really well spotted because uh, the, Connor Murray actually had to go in clean um, Trimble there and we were it was brilliant but it kind of got lost in the wider analysis of the game that we kicked so much yeah. but there was definitely times and I think Sexton identified as where, where we did run it and we were just at one one person shy in that ruck of, of scoring in yeah. the next phase and as well off line out as well they did look to peel off the tail a couple of times I think Faletau shut, shut it down um, that's another trademark of Joe that we tried to use against Wales but they probably those little, little elements were lost in terms of the wider analysis on the kicking side there's definitely 
any um, aspects of that game that like Birch identified there that we can we can look forward to this weekend? It's just before we move on, I want to talk about Anthony Foley and Munster. Is there an obvious area that we can exploit here, Bernard? It's, it would have sounded ridiculous to say it a couple of years ago, but do we actively go out and will they be doing this? Will John Pumphrey be walking them through the through the processes here? Actively go out and target the weaker English front row. Oh, for sure. Um, I know I saw some analysis this week where people showed a scrum from two years ago where Tom Court um, got destroyed, Mike Ross went off injured and said, oh, we have to be careful of that. I think it's completely different. First of all, you have two props on the bench now, so you can have a specialist tie that. Um, I think Ireland's depth is, 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 is much stronger. And I, Exactly, I wouldn't be worried about the English scrum. Even if Dan Cole played, um, you know, I think we certainly could have dictated the angles we got I'm not saying we would have pushed them all over the field um, but it's a big ask for David Wilson with 46 min- minutes uh, game time come back from a calf injury and your calf is CJ Van Linda in his time in Leinster you know he just couldn't get it right because that's that's basically holding you know, 16 people's uh, the, the power of 16 men is going through uh, your calves and, and if you have any weakness there and if you haven't it's the kind of muscle that you need to get game time um, to build it up and to, and to stop it getting fatigued so I, I'd be surprised if he could play 80 yeah. uh, Young Thomas, who's on the bench, is, is a is a is, is a good, promising player, but no experience. And we have the, for me, the best loose head in the world at the moment, Healy. We've Rory Best, who's technically a very, very good scrummager, and we have the most important thing is we've got a really collective uh, mindset for scrummaging as eight. And I don't know if you remember against Australia, we got caught a little bit. And I remember speaking to Mike Ross that week, and you know, you would, there were so many things that went wrong technically. You're going to say, well, New Zealand are going to push us around here. And I spoke to Rossi, and he said, listen, we had a meeting on Monday. We identified a problem. As a group, we're going to take responsibility for it. I think it's probably a really good thing for this that, for that pack in terms of scrummaging um, because it was recent enough to be fresh in their minds that if, if one guy goes off page, you know, we'll be exploited. But if everyone does the right thing... So that was a, do you think that was a technical thing? Because uh, bizarrely enough, I was sitting beside Frankie Sheen in that match and he didn't like the look of it from quite early on, that, that, that scrum against Australia. Didn't seem to think that the mindset was... Didn't even feel they were getting angry enough as they were getting uh, demolished by the... Uh, whatever bet against England, you shouldn't really be getting demolished by an Aussie scrum. No, well, I think what happened was there was probably overconfidence and, and maybe guys just expected it to happen. And, and with, with something like scrummaging, which is um, set-piece orientated, you know, it, 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 there's no real move or running around you know exactly what's going to happen it's going to come right in front of you uh, and you've got to be able to match that I think that just that that poor performance helped focus the mind and I think as I said I think it's fresh enough in yeah. our heads that we'll know how important it is this week I want to talk about Anthony Foley a hugely popular choice and an absolute icon of Munster rugby uh, as the Munster head coach just something he said t- yesterday speaking to Jerry Thorne in the Irish Times about his playing philosophy because this is what everyone's going to be interested in now for the next couple of years at least I always feel that your unconscious mind should be your guide out on the pitch at the level we play at it's very hard to think out there you have to have a natural game and that is your club at times we've gone away from that and we've gotten lost and we look confused out there at times it seems natural to us it's about getting that game which is very effective for us to play now it strikes me that he could be Munster have spent a couple of years maybe a couple of years even before with Tony McGann but certainly the last two at Rob Penny trying to expand their game plan we've heard all about the successes and failures of that one does that sound to you like Anthony Foley's going to go back and almost uh, it could be the last two years to be a bit of a waste well it does when you when you isolate that quote it does sound or it indicates a possible shift um, but I don't think it, the last two years will be a waste and it's so, Foley kind of reminds me from playing with him he's like, a little bit like Schmidt he's really pra- pragmatic you know he'll do whatever it takes he, he's a real footballer's brain um, he'll do whatever it takes to win now at times maybe Munster were just playing to a pattern rather than playing 
possibly what's the best approach to win a particular game and I think Foley will be able to adapt that uh, maybe more so than under the current current strategy because Munster are a little bit predictable I, I really admire what they're trying to, what they're trying to do playing with wits but at times certainly uh, I think defences were weak. We feel there are, there are benefits though even of what has been done over the last couple of years. Is that in terms of skill sets of players? Exactly, yeah. And the belief they have in, in their offloading game, their ability to get away a pass like we saw for JJ Hanran's try in the last minute against uh, Perpignan. So we... That's the kind of that's the kind of benefits there. Um, Foley will definitely be able to bring that, but I'd say he'd be a bit more, he'd be a lot more practical, and he'd be a lot more, you know, shrewd about when to use certain strategies against yeah. different oppositions. It does raise questions as to what they have been doing the last couple of years, though, Bernard. I would have thought if now they're going back to, I don't want to call it the traditional Munster way. I know that annoys Rob Penny quite a lot, but it seems to be what they're doing. Yeah, but if you're if you're going to change coach. Um, it's very hard to get someone to come in and put in the exact same philosophy every coach has got their own philosophy how the game should be played and if you have belief in, in that guy and I think Anthony's earned his stripes he's, he's waited he, he's done everything right he's got experience with Ireland A he's got experience with the, with, the, with the senior team he's had various roles in Munster and, and from the outside you know he's, he's He's been very successful when he was defence coach. He's been very successful in terms of the four pack and, yeah. and how they developed. And it's probably Munster's probably started this this current uh, domination of driving malls. You know, Ireland have added to it, but it was Munster for the last year under Anthony have been very very effective in that area. I, I would agree with Trev. I think listen, uh, he's definitely going to be more pragmatic. He's probably going to probably kind of kick more. They're probably going to play territory. Um, and I think what they're going to do is when they get into the opposition twenty two, they're going to play a very physical in your face. Uh, pressurise game and make the opposition make mistakes because that's that's what he knows and that's what he's been successful with and for sure he'll merge other ideas that he's learnt under Tony McGann or he's learnt from his travels or learnt, learnt working with, with Declan Kidney but I think his philosophy I think Munster will be much harder to beat to be honest uh, I think the Munster have developed for sure um, and it's, it's great to watch but I think it's much better, it's much more successful against the poor teams than it can be when you get into knockout, knockout rugby. And I think if you watch Munster... Oh, they made up, it all the way to the semi-finals last year. They had they, a good win away in England in the quarterfinals. For sure. But and they're still going this year. Absolutely. No, absolutely. But if you watch what they do on a, an Arabo weekend against Zebra and watch, they, watch what they did against Harlequins away and watch how they played against Claremont, it wasn't the same game plan. You know I mean? There was certainly... Something happened at the knockout stage last year, uh, just before Harlequins, where they... They did come. They did go back a little bit to yeah, the inference. Seems to be a certainly the, the suggestion has been that maybe the players took ownership of that. Yeah, I think so. If you look at Paul, what Paul and Roger would have would have uh, built a success on, and what their beliefs would have been would have been the monster way is you know we we make you work. We we, we play the game in your in your face, and, and we wind you and we, we grind you down because they always back their work rate. They always back their fitness. They always back their togetherness, and it's a really good starting block. And obviously, I think Penny has added a certain level of skill. And if Foley won't lose that, Foley's very smart. If if he spots a weakness in the opposition, um, playing wide wide or, or playing hit middle, come back, he'll he'll adapt to that. But what his I think what his overall philosophy would be would be uh, that Munster are one of the best teams in Europe and when you play them it's going to be hard and it's going to be physical and that sounds very basic but I mean everyone has a core philosophy you know? Is the dynamic going to be comfortable between those two now in that you've got the current coach and the coach who's about to take over that job? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because, as Bert said, he, Foley would like to put his, his own stamp on it when he when he gets in, and he probably that quote there, you know, it probably look to to 
minimise that kind of stuff talking about what game plan game or, or style they, they look to play next year because that could create tension if, they, if that continues on for probably, last year. He probably won't end up doing a lot of interviews. I'd say no, maybe this, yeah. this one quick burst of exactly, press yeah, and that's uh, it. Uh, yeah, because I heard even if you look at the week that they looked to announce it, it was probably done with a view to kind of burying it a li- as much as possible under the radar against uh, the biggest week of the Six Nations probably. And I heard Foley talking about that's it now. I'm not, you know, we're focusing on Sunday and, and that's that's the end of the, the chat. Yeah. And I say Foley will, you know, like Homer Simpson going back into the bu- bushes when, when Ned Flanders was when he was talking he'll just back out of it now for the next for the next few, few uh, months and leave leave Rob have his last um, shot at, at getting a bit of silverware alright guys it would be great with your time here just want to get predictions probably from the for the France game as well Bernard uh, Wales to beat France are you talking about Ireland France or Wales? Uh, yeah sorry yeah, yeah Wales France Wales, and... Wales to beat France and uh, Ireland to beat England ok sounds good yeah yeah that's an interesting call there on Wales um yeah, I'll probably go with Wales. Yeah, as well the same as Birch and then Ireland to be England. Yeah, All right. So Ireland, the only team. Well, Ireland will be the team still going for the Grand Slam after those results. Yeah, if yeah. All goes well. Maybe Italy to beat Scotland as well. All right. Throw that one in yeah. there. Sure. Yeah, I agree. All right, Grand Slam of uh, predictions here. That's, that's brilliant. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Sound. Are you paying too much for your current account? Maybe it's time for a change. At KBC, everyone can bank for just two euros a month. That's the price of a coffee. Just use your KBC debit card for purchases or cash back for free and avoid those annoying ATM charges. Oh, and did we mention you also get free internet and mobile banking? And before you ask, yes, your bank could be charging you for all these. Other fees and charges apply. Visit changeyourbank.ie, call one 800 or pop in for a coffee at any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. €2 a month is based on a quarterly fee of €6. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Hope you enjoyed that chat. I just want to go back to the very start of it. If uh, you want to come back in here, Murph, and indeed Ken, mm. I don't know what you think of the England players marching in like gladiators, parking up outside. Be the equivalent of the Leinster players parking somewhere along Lands End Road, or the Ireland players, I should mm. say, maybe crossing over. They might have to have to wait. You don't have to wait for the dart line anymore. You can get underneath that little yeah. underpass. Still uh, kind of getting, getting clapped on the back. Yeah, and then um, yeah, marching yeah. into the stadium. There is an element of that, you know. Let let them do it from the canal altogether. Walk all the way down Bagot Street or past the schoolhouse there. I mean, it's a good aerobic workout. If nothing else. I mean, I'm pretty knackered by the time I get to the ground. Usually, they. Uh, I think it's really weird. The England thing. Yeah, I think it is a little weird. Why do they? Why do they need to be motivated by? The knowledge that they're going to a game at which there will be England it, fans. It seems to be a, reci- a reciprocal issue in the sense that they want to reconnect again with English rugby. They want to reconnect with Twickenham and maybe it'll, it, it could be as much for the fans as for the team. He is big into, the, into this kind of thing that, as mentioned by Bernard, he gets a lot of the former players coming in and other great British sports people just to have the English players thinking about how proud they should be to play for England. Um, and maybe this is another part of that. I don't know, I agree with you. I uh, think it's actually kind me, of strange. It's and the kind of thing that the players, I imagine, are all thinking... It's ridiculous. What is this guy on? Well, what kind of planet is this guy on? You could know? flog a few tickets late doors, though. You know, just uh, if you've got a few, if you've got a few extra tickets hanging around. Maybe you know. I remember. Make sure that walk takes a good. And, the, long and time. it's just England fans there. There's no Ireland fans. No, but there will be. This is what I was saying. Well, I do, do Ireland rugby fans behave in the same yokelish manner as Irish uh, football fans? I remember seeing the England team getting out of their bus at their hotel in uh, Krakow. Krakow, Krakow, yeah. And being surrounded by a, a lot of thousands of Irish apes. There didn't seem to be any English <laughs> fans in evidence whatsoever. Yeah. 
Um, and he could have made a rod for his own back here, Mr. Lancaster. The Irish fans were booing the, in a very ungracious way. You know, I mean, what was it? Were we all supposed to find that funny or something? Were we also supposed to find it amusing mm. that England were getting off their big, plush, air-conditioned bus in Krakow and going into their uh, swanky hotel, surrounded by thousands of Irish people booing them and, and shouting insults and abuse to them? Were we supposed to find that amusing? I know the English found it reacted the same way they reacted to being cheered by England fans, and that was to studiously ignore what was going on around them. Uh, yeah. Just so we're just making them feel comfortable, you know, bringing them back to their, their club situation, which is where, where they get booed any time they're in a hotel that isn't their own. So, you know, I mean, in ways, we're just we're helping them settle in, you know. It's kind of similar to, I think, well, the whole walk into the ground reminds one of David Soul, 1990, England against Scotland, the 1990... Uh, Five Nations Grand Slam decider. Yeah, uh, we all know how that turned out. Scotland. So maybe why? Why does it remind you of that? Well, I mean, this slow, purposeful stride oh. of the Coliseum, the 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 cauldron of battle. I mean, maybe it took twenty four years, but maybe England have learned their lesson. Walking slowly and purposefully anywhere intimidates the person you're going to meet at the end of that journey. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of my theory about GAA championship matches. It, In th- rugby, you walk really exact slowly. Opposite. That's what makes... Squiddling you know, out like rabbits from yeah. the tunnel will terrify. That's what makes sports so compelling. You know, different strokes for different sporting folks. Let's have a little bit of this there. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? I got the potatoes yeah. and the puchine. Huh? And the puchine. Oh, yeah, there you are. Born and bred, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. So, uh, we should, actually, before we begin... We're the only people still broadcasting Jay Leno. So for that alone, bad sestrum, I say. What? Jay Leno. He's retired. The, Jimmy the, Fallon's taking over there. The Tonight Show. When did that happen? Just last week. Jimmy Fallon had his first show on Monday night. So yeah. Jay Leno has been booted unceremoniously out of his job. That well, he, is he not, does he not retired graciously, no? Ah, uh, whatever. On. I didn't those, like the those, guy. Are, those talk show hosts don't usually retire but at that he, age. They usually wait till their 80s or 90s. He retired and then came back. Was that not yeah, that well, old? He, oh, yeah, no, this been, it's since then, yeah. And this time he's gone for and good. And Fa- Fallon's gone and moved it all the way to New York then. He's been in LA for the last 30-odd years. Oh, no. 42, in fact, huh? Uh Anyway, Pierce Brosnan, sorry. <laughs> well, no, no, well, listen, you were raw, good, so I corrected you. It's just the way it is. Pierce Brosnan is not a popular man at the moment amongst our listeners because he's busied himself this week picking out successful applicants for our show in Wheelands tomorrow night, simultaneously crushing the hopes and dreams of many hundreds more. But he is a man who cares deeply about how he's perceived, so he got on to me uh, yesterday and he said, Hey, hey Murph, it's Pierce here. Of course, I said, What the hell do you want? I'm a busy man. So he goes, Sorry, Murph. And I'm like, Yeah, well, whatever. So this goes on for a while and he begs me to do a Pierce Brosnan emigrant shout out this week because he knows the only thing that will win our listeners back is t-shirts and the prospect of more t-shirts to come. So with that in mind, we turn our attention to the east coast of the USA where Manny's an Irish immigrant has gone out to carve a name for themselves in the construction and pub owning game. No other games now mind on, just those two. <laughs> yeah. Peter O'Brien emails in from the nosebleed seats at the TD Garden in Boston while watching the Boston Bean Pot Ice Hockey Tournament. <laughs> you bad, Peter. Don't understand much of that sentence, but continue. Uh, congratulations on your t-shirt, Peter. Uh, he sent us in a lovely photograph. And on your achievement in writing perhaps the dullest email it's ever been my displeasure to read. <laughs> Don't judge me, Peter. You've just won a t-shirt. Shut up and take it. So one more this week from Indiana State University, home of the great Larry Bird and home for the last two years to Irishman Neil Fleming where he lectures in sports science and coaching. Can you give Larry Bird his correct name please? Uh, the Hick from French Lake. The, the Hick from French Lake yes of course thank you for that. Needless to say since I took over the curriculum Neil writes listening to your, to your show has become mandatory homework for all my students. 
This has led to animated classroom debate on topics ranging from McDevitt's theory, recently uh, referred to here on the show, on the secret to success at Crow Park, and why Murph's fat ankles are affecting his chances in the marathon. Please find attached a picture of me at the recent clash of Indiana State Sycamores versus the Wichita State Corn Shockers in men's college basketball. Corn Shockers or Shuckers? Shockers, the email said. Maybe it's Corn Shuckers. Uh, possibly the only time two forms of organic plant matter have faced off against each other in competitive sport. Mm. Uh, so, a good man, Neil. Thank you to all of our listeners who've been in touch. And uh, we'll have more pea bezels next week. All right, we are going to go now to Limerick, where Emmett Malone is covering the Irish squad announcement. This is the Martin O'Neill announcement for the friendly against Serbia for the Irish Times. Emmett, it's, I don't know exactly what we were expecting. Maybe people got uh, was included, got our hopes up a little bit that it could be some sort of massive surprises. But uh, what about it, the feeling down there? Was there a sense that there weren't exactly too many bombshells? Yeah, you could say that, all right, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like yourself, I'm not entirely sure what we were expecting, but I, I guess after uh, several months on the job and knowing that uh, Martin O'Neill had been going to quite a lot of games and seeing a lot of players, uh, I think there was an expectation that be uh, more of a surprise than Daryl Murphy returning after uh, after a spell in the wilderness. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a very predictable squad. It could have been, you know, it's not a million miles from one that uh, Trapatoni um, might have picked, and it's only a few hundred meters from the one that No King picked for for uh, O'Neill back in back in November. There was, I mean, there had been speculation previously about Shea Given and Stephen Ireland, two players who haven't been in the squad for quite a while, uh, maybe coming back. What did he have to say about those two guys in particular? Yeah, he sort of said that uh, with Stephen Ireland that the, that the kind of process is ongoing, that he's, uh, he's talked to him on the phone, that he's gone to see him, but that it's been a bit, bit of a frustration for both of them that he hasn't been in the team more. Um, but he has talked to him on the phone. He intends to meet him in person and certainly seems to leave the door open to him returning in the future. Likewise, with given to a certain extent, although I, I think, you know, um, it's, it's, it's dressed up a bit differently. Um, the case there with him is, uh, I, I mean, I think he, he's quite kind of... Uh, enthusiastic about the fact that Given has has been back in the last couple of months and playing regularly at Middlesbrough. He talked about the fact that, that Given's enthusiasm for the game had been restored and all that but he said more than once that that Shea now has a big decision to make. You know that that uh, there doesn't seem to be much of a future for him at Aston Villa. You know, and and it was left hanging there slightly. But the bottom line is that you know it was clear Shea has to go out. He has to be playing very regularly and 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 showing his form in a first team somewhere. You know, and 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 Rob Elliott is in the squad. You know, but but I think the status of the two players, uh, the, the very different status of the two players, is clear. I mean, I think you can bring Rob Elliott, who's who's playing reserve team football, into a squad, leave him sitting on the bench, and a problem doing that with Shea is a different matter. Is that um, quite reasonable, do you think, from Martin O'Neill's point of view regarding Shea Given? Because a lot of the time when a player is touted for an international return, it's because since they've retired from international football, their career has gone through the roof. And that hasn't happened with yeah. Shea Given. Now, it's great that he went off, played some pretty good football with Middlesbrough, but could you understand why O'Neill feels he has to at least be playing first team football to get a recall? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I do. I, I think that uh, Shea made that decision, and uh, and 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 you know, Shea's destiny is very much in his own hands here. He's on a he's on a, a well-paid, long-term contract at Aston Villa, and and if that's his priority, if the priority is to see that contract out to ma- maintain his financial future or, or extract the maximum value from it, that's absolutely fine. He's entitled to do that. Um, but I, I don't think at the same time he has a huge amount of complaints if, if that takes its toll on his international career. 
Um, the draw for Euro 2016 is this uh, weekend. I don't suppose yeah. anything was anything of interest was discussed about this. No, no, no. Uh, O'Neill has a big habit of kind of deflecting uh, questions that he's not really all that interested in answering um, with humour. And um, and he cracked a few jokes about the fact that Aidan McGeady had suggested like quite quite like to play England. Um, he cracked a couple of other jokes about the draw, you know, generally. But um, I, I, really, all he said was that in terms of the, the second and third tiers, there weren't wasn't very much to choose from them. That he looked at the third tier, he looked at the fourth tier, and you know the the pool, the pool, and uh, and that there are teams in all of those. Um, for Ireland to be concerned about, but uh, he avoided every specific question about whether he would like England, who he'd like from the top tier, whether he'd, you know, uh, f- fancy uh, uh, playing Northern Ireland, all of that sort of stuff was just really firmly kicked in touch. So, I mean, overall, I guess the biggest, the, you know, there is no, there is no headline here, but maybe the just the fact that I know O'Neill has mentioned occasionally, I mean, did he mention Nathan Redmond uh, at one point as a possible player who might, you know, whose Irish connections he was looking at? None of those players have, have been brought in yet. Uh, is, it, is it the case, do you think, that he is waiting uh, to give this squad, the kind of existing pool of players, one more chance to really show him where, um, where they all stand? Or he just hasn't found anybody yet? I think there might be a little bit of both. I, I, now, this is a 29-man squad. It's going to be cut down to 23 over the next week or so. Um, I think some of these players, you know, are probably getting a, a chance to show again in training what they can do. Uh, he, he actually said that, you know, he, 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 at one point that he, uh, he hasn't seen any kind of, you know, startling talents really coming through on his travel so far. Kind of joked about the fact that maybe he's looking in the wrong places. But, but the reality is he doesn't sound like he's been bowled over by anybody and he needs to really be fast-tracked into, into the squad. At the same time, you know, he's been in the, in the, in the job three months. He came over just before Christmas. Um, talked at that stage about, you know, maybe you think I should be moving things along a bit faster or whatever. It was all very jokey. But, you know, you would probably still have thought that that, that, that there'd be some kind of green shoots in, in this squad here. Um, you know, even a couple of players to, to be brought in. Um, and he went to see Murphy last week and, and, and was quite impressed by him, says uh, Mick McCarthy was talking him up. And that's all very well and that's great. But um, but really, you know, you'd like to see the, 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 the slight signs of transformation. I think probably, as has been the tradition to some extent, that will come more at the end of the season. You know, for obvious reasons, a lot of players, particularly the older ones, don't want to do the end of season tours, um, a lot of them are injured, carrying injuries, having operations, whatever. There will be vacancies at that point and I guess at this stage um, that's, that's when we really should be, uh, should be uh, looking to see what, what a, a new look Martin O'Neill squad might, 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 have, might look like. Yeah, we'll probably get a clear indication then, but uh, <laughs> unremarkable for now. Emma, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I don't know if the, the old granny rule has been quite as profitable for us in recent years. Well, it probably has. I guess we were just spoiled in those years where we used to get some of the best players in England. Yeah, what with the old, um, you know, people flooding out of the country in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, I suppose things calm down a little bit here. So they're going to be some, the granny reel is going to be in our favour again in about 15 years or so. Well, it went 70s, 80s. Actually, well, 70s and 80s were big as well, weren't the they? Yeah, but maybe, those, really maybe the, the problem was that those people... It, left Ireland hating it so much yeah. that they swore no offspring of theirs would ever represent this accursed yeah. island. They basically added, you know, sort of uh, Polish at the ends. They basically changed their names to Polish names to ensure yeah. that their, uh, their, their succeeding generations would never 
even dream of coming back to Ireland, even in a tourist capacity. Yeah, I think it might it might even be the case with this with this generation who maybe have maybe we need going to need to start trawling around in Australia, Canada, you know, places like this. Steve Stanton promised to search the world. He <laughs> did. Was that at his press conference in Boston in 2007 when he was drinking a, a cup of coffee the size of a? <laughs> I think it was in his press press conference. He had this flag in a coffee, you know. Mm. Came in a little late, late to the press conference, drinking the largest coffee that anyone had ever seen, <laughs> and uh, slurped it, uh, sort of truculently. Full kind of country sprig, three liter bottle full of. Look, I, I, I don't know, but you know, I, I can understand if you know if people if people leave the country. You know, there's a certain amount of uh, these days, maybe a certain amount of uh, good riddance. Yeah. Good riddance to the old, the old fatherland. You know, I I had to live there, but but at least my children never will. Yeah, or indeed, uh, come back for you know, ten international football games a year. Yeah, that too. They don't need to do that either. So I don't know. I guess I guess Owen, we'll just have to see how this one plays out. <laughs> In the meantime, I know we're finding it very difficult to get riled by the new polite. English team. I'm not finding it difficult at all. Well, this will help you even further along your path then, Murph. Dylan Hartley, it was pointed ah, out this there week. We go. That's all I need. Those two words. Dylan going. Hartley does like to get involved. He likes yeah. to mix it up. Particularly he's a when he's playing character. for his club. Over the years, he was banned for 26 weeks, came back in 2007, mm. for gouging three players in the same game. Wow. Uh, including Johnny O'Connor. Or Sorry. to give him his proper name. Well, who on? Johnny O'Concrete. Much better. In March 2012, he was banned for eight weeks for biting another Irishman. Stephen Ferris. Who would bite Stephen that's Ferris? That's not very... I mean, that come just, on. That's not clever. Who bites Who bites anyone? But biting perhaps the most physical man I've ever seen play rugby. And immediately then challenge Sean O'Brien to an arm wrestle. Yeah. It's the kind of it's logic that would... machismo going on. And in December of that year, Hartley was banned for two weeks for elbowing Rory Best in the head. I think it was Rory Best. One of the best. We're going to go for Rory Best in the head. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ulster's hiding up win over Northampton. I mean... He's elbow. a shamrock killer, this guy. He is. He's a shamrock... Killer, on not not on Saturday though. I've got an extremely good feeling about this. Oh wait, I've just jinxed it. Thanks, Murph. quick end of show. Quick. Thanks again. Thank you, and thank you. Thanks, Thanks very Thanks much on. for listening. Do follow us on Twitter at Second Captains, Facebook dot com forward slash Second Captains, and our email address Second Captains at irishtimes dot com. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you early next week. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.